Welcome to the Marigold Teachers Podcast. We're back with more ideas to help teachers like you embrace well-being, kick emotional exhaustion to the curb and thrive personally and professionally. That's right. We are your flower bed of fantasticalness. I've made up a word. I went almost for fantastically lily. Well, that would be lilies, not marigolds. Well, there you go. And that's why I went for fantasticalness. See, there's method in my madness. <laughs> I'm David. And I'm Rebecca. We're teachers, coaches and creators with over 25 years between us in the classroom. So we definitely know what it's like to always have your mind on the go and never really understand where the line is. That's right. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at how teachers can switch off. We're going to share our experiences and offer you some strategies for getting a little bit of peace of mind outside of the classroom. Let's jump in. So in this episode, we are focusing on how to switch off. And I think this is probably the kind of problem that a lot of teachers, if not just about every teacher suffers from, is how to stop thinking about work, how to stop working, how to regulate yourself, I guess, so that you don't always take all of the trials and tribulations and emotions and worries that are inherent in a day's worth of teaching, how you don't take them home with you. How do you switch off? Now, I know some people, some colleagues I've worked with in the past have just been brilliant. They ju can just do it. I, I cannot. That's not been my experience of the reality of teaching. I find it very hard to switch off. And Rebecca, I know you've got a similar vibe in terms of carrying things across with you. So, I mean, how, how hard do you find it to switch off, to separate life and work? It's really hard to switch your mind off when you're always on the go and so busy. I don't think people realize who, people who aren't teachers anyway, just how many things, I mean, we all spin plates, but my goodness. Just in a lesson, I mean, how many people do six meetings a day and then plan some more and then think, what's that child doing? Why can't that person access it? Should I differentiate it? But you're buzzing all the time. And that's really hard to just stop dead in its tracks. And, you know, this is different from a work-life balance because you could be having a great time having a work-life balance and finding that time for you. But nothing's really for you when you're still worrying about whatever's going on in your mind. I remember you telling me once, I think in the first maybe year of me teaching, I remembered this on a beach, but I don't feel like we were on a beach. Maybe it's all become an analogy in my mind, David. Maybe I was thinking about it on a beach. <laughs> but I said, I don't understand how you finish a to-do list. I've not finished one yet. And you said, you have to be okay with not finishing it. You have to be able to turn it off. and. That's incredibly hard when, like I said, you're so busy all the time and your brain deserves a break and you deserve to give your energy to something else. I agree. And I don't know that I always practice what I preach in terms of turning my brain off or, or being all right with not finishing a to-do list. But it is true that there is no nine to five with this stuff and it will never be finished. And I think I, I kind of... I struggled with identification. That was the problem with me. Who I was, was a teacher. I was always on, you know, as it were. And I never, I never switched off because I didn't always realize I could 
And as soon as I realized I could switch off, then I started to look for ways of doing it. And I guess this is kind of what this episode's all about, really. What do you think some of the negative outcomes of not being able to switch off are for you? What have you experienced in that sense? Completely disconnecting from everything I'm actually doing. As I said, like, even if you're busy in the gym or sitting and eating dinner with your family or just watching film, like I've struggled. I've told my partner, I can't watch any decent TV series because I don't have the mental capacity to take it on because I'm still thinking, what reports haven't I written? Why didn't they get that much work done today? Do I need to replan that lesson? And so I can't have those shared conversations. I can't even watch a TV series with somebody. It's stressful. It's that moment where everyone says on a Sunday night that they can't sleep or they've got a a notebook next to their bed and they are constantly on because it's Sunday night and it's school tomorrow. And oh my goodness, think of all the things I haven't done, that guilt that you've given yourself and that the job conditions you to think is completely okay to have all the time. And it just leads to, well, inevitably burnout, really. I've hit that wall a couple of times and I know that you would agree that you had too. Anxiety, stress, pressure, and just losing relationships because I'm not giving someone me when I've given myself that time to not do work. I'm just constantly thinking about work. Absolutely. And I even got to the stage where I was doing work I didn't need to do because I didn't have another model. I'd programmed myself that way to the point where I would spend a half term or I'd spend an Easter holiday or even a summer holiday to an extent. I mean, not every single moment, but a lot of it. Well, actually, no, I would spend almost all of it thinking about my work, even if I was at a beach or a museum or just on holiday or, or whatever with my family, I'd be with my family, but I wasn't really. My head was, was in a lesson plan somewhere, but I'd also do things that were, were totally unnecessary for me to have to do over the course of a summer holiday. I'd set all kinds of projects to do because I didn't, I didn't realize I could function in a different way, you know? And looking back on it, in a way, it seems like a terrible waste of my time. But it, it wasn't. In that moment, it was really valuable to me. I don't regret those things, but I do think actually I forgot how to function in the real world. I, just, I could only really kind of function in teacher world because my brain wouldn't let me go anywhere else. It's that strive for everyone else doing things and making sure you're just as good as everybody else and that kind of... I'm going to call it toxic because it is everyone saying, having a badge of honor of I've spent my summer doing this. Why haven't you done that? They're not even saying that out loud. You're hearing it. Oh, well, I spent my weekend doing this. I didn't even stop. I've worked 146 hours this week. They're not saying, why haven't you? But you're hearing, I'm not good enough. Why haven't I spent my time doing that? I'm clearly not as good a teacher as they are. And that's really hard because you don't need to punish yourself for having a break. You probably agree with this one, actually. When you're saying, you know, you're on holiday and you're thinking about all the work you've got to do, it's definitely inclusive of when will I do my work? (laughs) That took a long time to stop feeling bad about. I haven't even done any work at that point. And I'm just thinking about that it's okay that I haven't, but it's not okay, but it is okay. Of course it's okay. 
course it is. It's just deeply complex and it's so rooted in our, in our psyches. And the weird thing for me was that I began to be quite resentful of being at work when I was supposed to be at work. Because I think what was happening was outside of work, I was, I was doing all this work and I was constantly thinking all the time about, about my job and about ways I could improve it and things I could do and making resources and all the stuff that teachers do, not really having very much of a life. And then when I was at work, I couldn't bring myself to work because I was kind of angry about the fact I hadn't had a break. It sounds preposterous, but I was, I was kind of almost backwards. You know, when you procrastinate and it's to your own detriment, kind of when you stare off into space, when you know you should be going to sleep. I sometimes do that when I was at my busiest or when I didn't switch myself off and I was doing like you did, working outside of school. When I did have those moments where I was angry about being at work, I was kind of just wasting, not wasting time, like having a breather and choosing to go have a little pot around or put the kettle on or do something for me or go and eat my lunch with a colleague. That's not the same as thinking, hang on a minute, I'm so angry I've spent my weekend working. I've now got an hour that I'm decompressing and I'm just staring off into space because I've got nothing left to give. And I'm really angry that this hour, I'm doing it here. Yeah, this hour of decompression is just me being angry about everything. And then I'm going to go back to the state I was in before. So what we're thinking about then is, is how we get over this, because this is different to, to workload in my head. I could be working from seven o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night. And that would be, well, it wouldn't be okay, but it, in, in context, it would be okay if at 9.01 in the evening, I could stop thinking about it, right? If I had that capacity. So really that's what we're thinking about here. And we're going to try and just, just identify a few ways that we can start going down that road. I'm thinking in more healthy terms, right, as teachers, as educators, about switching off. So we've got a few thoughts on this. So what, what would you say would be your first technique or your first strategy for finding a way to switch off the brain? All the boundaries, Dave. <laughs> and do you know what? You can force your boundaries if you like. I've said this for a couple of podcasts or a couple of posts as well recently that I deleted everything off my phone. And I don't have a choice. I immediately thought I should have just turned notifications off. Then I could look at it whenever I needed to, just in case I might need to, because someone might need to reply. Maybe I'll just do that one email. And there we've spiraled back into the on off is very, very blurry. But if it's not there for me to do it, I can't do it. What a shame. Of course, sometimes I've got to take work home. Of course, I've got to finish something off. I've got a big report to do for an ECT. I've got, I've got to do them. It's inevitable. Like I can't say just don't do work outside of work. I don't think we're that naive to that fact, but make that boundary say, okay, well, between then and then actually it's when I put my child to bed or actually it's still light outside at the moment. Maybe that's the time I go out and do my shopping for the week. Anything that means that's not work time. For me, it's like there are internal emotional boundaries and there are external physical boundaries. And I find the external boundaries, the practical things help me much more. I guess for me, it's making physical boundaries. So having somewhere at home where all my work stuff goes and like a, an area or a nook or a table or whatever, wherever you're going to work at home, 
And that's the only place I do it. Like I don't work anywhere else. I sit there and I'll get my stuff out and I'll work in that place. And that helps me because then when I leave that place, when I pack that up or when I just leave a desk behind and walk away and go into the other room, that's not work. Work is at that place where I sit down and I practically physically do it. So I kind of make a boundary or I kind of compartmentalize that way. I also kind of do it in terms of checking hours. I was notorious for constantly checking things like emails. And so now I have specific times when I will do it. If it's a weekend, let's say, or if it's an evening, you know, at this point I will check. And then after this point, I'm done. There is no further need for me to check anything today. I'm going to do the next few hours without checking in and I won't check in again until tomorrow at eight o'clock or, or whatever the situation is. And having that kind of boundary is really, really important for me. Whether I thought I was just so important that I had to keep checking everything because what would happen if I didn't and wasn't there to make a response or whether it was because I was so insecure that I needed to know what was going on and not, not, not reply to something immediately. I don't think I'll ever really unpick, but, but what I do know is that as soon as I have a window where I'll check things and then that window comes to an end, I know that I can stop. And I won't look back at it again. And that's almost like being freed from a prison of artificial responsibility, right? I just know that my time is done and that, that really helps too. I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a favor. We know that teachers around the world enjoy this podcast and we are so proud to offer ongoing support and actionable advice to educators worldwide. So if you're one of those teachers and you haven't already liked and subscribed to the podcast, then please take a moment now, if you can, to do just that. It makes a huge difference to our reach and it helps us keep this podcast free so more teachers can become part of the Marigold community. And from both of us, thank you. Let's get back to today's episode. And that makes a really big difference when, you know, I keep banging on about my phone, but actually, you know, it's a different type of work we all have now, not just teachers and parents too, and students. I mean, students and parents who email at ridiculous hours and you shouldn't give them that expectation that you're on as well, because the more they think that you're going to reply to just makes it okay for them to do the same thing. And, you know, having phones that are around with us all the time just means you have to really, really work at creating those barriers. I think I know exactly why I like to check in a lot. And it's because I think I overthink about what people think about me. I want to make sure people think I'm doing the best I can do. My goodness, what happens if I don't reply to a parent of someone in my tutor group in 38 seconds flat? But I had one the other day that emailed and the first thing that it said was, I'm really busy tomorrow. And I've emailed you really late at night and I completely expect you not to even read this. But if you are, please don't reply tonight. And that was glorious. And yeah, turned my emails off my phone and deleted them. But I used to get told to put my out of office on in the summer holidays and the half terms. But no one tells you to put it on at the weekend. I've started putting it on in the evening too. And it just says, I'm away from my computer now. Anything you need from me will be dealt with when I return in the morning. 
And guess what? In the last week, I have had less emails in the evening because people get that internally and externally, by the way, set it to my colleagues as well as set it to parents and kids. And I've had less. I think people are starting to get the message. And if I was brave enough, I'd cut on the bottom of the internal one. Maybe you should try doing this too. Maybe I'll do it soon. But I love your location bit. I'm in kind of two locations, but that's just due to a toddler liking to play on a desk and a keyboard. But I'm trying really hard to do the same because I really love that you can move away from something and physically know that that's not the space to work anymore. Even if that means you have a workspace at home, that's still okay. What's on the top of my workspace, by the way, is a bigger version of this, actually. It's literally right in front of me. It's like a little, another little planner. So on a Sunday, when I start to feel that pressure up of, oh my goodness, it's Sunday. Ah, I can't underestimate that feeling because we all get it. I just write down my timetable on this giant plan. I've got a big A3 one in the other room and my lessons don't change. I know when the lessons are. And sometimes I might write something next to it. Sometimes I might just write the lesson. I might write where a meeting is or I might write, go for a walk. Or I might write, make sure you go to lunch early or reply to emails in that window but at least it settles my mind I might not write anything on it at all apart from the times of each lesson maybe not even the class just to write something down to know that's the week and that week isn't changing but I kind of have a few things blocked out and I can scribble in and put a little put a little tick box and go cool I kind of know that that space is for me or that space is for marking I might not write it in but it's there, it's kind of settled me down a little bit. Absolutely. And I, I think that we start off by modeling behavior for ourselves, right? That idea of repetition of, of this is how I have to be in order to function better or well or more healthily. And I like the idea that that model you set for yourself can become a model that you set for others and that other people can be inspired by. I think that's, that's lovely. And for me, the, the last kind of element of of internal boundary setting is visual. Years ago, I was taught this really simple thing. I'm sure people know of, of imagining writing something down on a piece of paper that's, that's a worry or that's playing on your mind or that you, when you can't stop thinking about something, sort of visualize yourself writing it down, fold it up, put it in a visually in a, in a cabinet, shut the cabinet, wrap the cabinet up with chains, you know, but then I. I also put a little, <laughs> this is so me, I put like a, a little timer on the lock. And what that does is it kind of goes, okay, this is still going to be there in the morning. This is going to open again at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or 10 o'clock or tomorrow night or whenever I am going to give myself room to deal with this thing, it will be there. And what that means is that I don't have to think about it now in the knowledge that I've parked it and it will come back to me. And that sounds like such a simple thing, but it was so powerful to me to leave something paused, but not forgotten. And it, it just gave me such a sense of relief to let something go in the knowledge I was going to catch it again. I think that's an exceptionally good point, because ultimately, if you try and padlock it away and put it in a massive safe and throw it into your imaginary river. I mean, that's not going to help you the next day when that stress comes back and you'll think that that analogy, that visualization just didn't work. 
So there's nothing wrong with changing it and making it work for you. And I think that time is a really good example of it. It's a bit like saying, I've got parents evening and I think it's all going to be terrible. I'm really stressed about it and I can't stop thinking about it. But my goodness, if you thought about how many people you actually had hard parents evenings with and you flipped it to say, I'm going to have some really lovely appointments and tell people how awesome their kids are. I immediately stop worrying about it so much. Think of all the little smiley faces I could draw versus the one, two, three, maybe sad, grumpy little ones. So I know which picture I'd rather imagine and go, oh, lovely. Do you know what? Actually, it's not all negative. Let's, let's flip it around a little bit. And that links us back to so many of the things that we often kind of think and feel and talk about as, as educators, which is that idea of finding the value and finding the positive in the things that you're going to do. And it all boils down to your sense of worth. And when you're confident in your sense of worth, the rest is going to work fine. And it takes us into our second point, I think, which is the idea of mindfulness, that idea of teaching ourselves to be in the moment and not to be fretting about what's going to happen tomorrow. I think for me, for a long time, that was quite difficult. I'm much better at it now because I've put the work in. But I would spend a long time worrying about things that hadn't yet happened. And that ultimately, when they did happen, they were fine. Have you found that to be something that you've, you've struggled with? Or do you have a way of grounding yourself and being in the moment that would be good to share? I think I have to go back to your negative thoughts bit because I didn't realize how much that impacted me until I sat down and realized how many negative thoughts I was letting affect my day to day. And just thinking I wasn't good enough or thinking that I, I can't do enough for the students that I teach when actually the amount of times, even in hard lessons, the amount of times I hear, that's really useful. Thank you. Or I get it now. That's great. I mean, that grounds you immediately, doesn't it? When you start thinking about something in a different way and actually all those thoughts that you have are really, really valid. I find negative thoughts really challenging because it's something that I've struggled with a lot and I think that's because I'm quite reflective as a person I think a lot of teachers are and they always want to do better and that means that I always think that I'm not good enough but actually it means I am good and there's nothing wrong with wanting to better what you do but that doesn't mean you're bad at something and it doesn't mean that things you're doing aren't good enough for somebody it means actually there's a lot of things I do really well and I give a lot and I'm a really good teacher and I see the kids in my class and my colleagues tell me those things. And I have to be able to hear them that way, not hear them negatively. And so I've got to change how I hear that too. And that takes a long time to do. But it feels so good when you stop hearing kind of your inner saboteur. But I can't say that took me a short time. It took a while to, to kick in. Yeah, it takes time to change the way you think because you're just you're programmed aren't you over years and years you program yourself to think in certain ways for survival and to step out of that is a bit scary but you know what did it for me was instead of thinking i really should be making a resource this weekend or I really must mark that pile of books today i changed it to I really must prioritize my family's well-being or I really must spend time with my friends or my 
obligation in the next couple of hours is to myself. And just changing the kind of the priority made me think in a completely different way about who I was, about what kind of teacher I was. And it helped me switch off from what was unimportant, which was actually school, to what was important, which was my life. And that took years. Yeah. Yeah. But really worth it. I think it's slowly becoming more real, I think, after becoming a parent as well, or even having anything or anyone you're responsible for, whether that's a pet, a friend, a a child, anything that's dependent on you, because ultimately they're the ones that also see you not switch off and, you know, have that accountability with you. And you have to say, I'm going to take my kids out the day and it's all right if I do a bit of schoolwork when I get back, but the focus is them and me. See, my kids are are much older than than yours, but if I was to go back to them being little again, and if I was to watch myself like a video, I would see someone who made every effort to be present as much as I possibly could and, and was present, you know, a lot. And I've got lovely memories, but I would also see somebody who wasn't quite really there and I kind of regret that, but I also understand why that was how I was. And I guess that kind of takes us to, to prioritizing self-care, which is our third point, which is actually, it's all right to put yourself at the top of the list. And just because no one is screaming and shouting at you to work on your well-being doesn't mean that yours shouldn't be the loudest voice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's about making sure that you schedule stuff for yourself or make time. Again, it's like that that planner. It doesn't always have teaching things on it. It has me things on it too. Even if it just means I've bought the food shop, but I've got to go in and I get to buy something I like or that I've taken that break out and I've gone and made that time just meaningful for me. It's not productivity per se, but it's making sure that I'm actively choosing to take a break, not as we said at the very beginning, staring off into space because I'm angry that that's the time I've got left. I've chosen to take that break. It's never when break time occurs. It's when I have a free lesson and I'm ready to go, do you know what? No, push it away and stop for just for a second. Exactly. And the thing that surprised me most is that when I'm at home and I'm trying to switch off, The thing that catches me is when I try and do something that doesn't have a tangible or productive outcome. That's when I really struggle. Is that idea of, I'm just going to sit and watch a movie or I'm going to do an arts and crafts type hobby that won't change the world or won't be of benefit to anybody. And of course it will change the world and be a benefit to someone. Me. Yeah. But. But I still, that's where I still struggle with that idea of, well, everything I do has to have worth, but I only used to really recognize the worth as relating to an output that was of benefit to somebody else. And the, the older I get, better I get at this, the more I come to understand that not having a tangible output or an expectation is actually of great worth to me and I need to do more of it. 
I think that's really lovely. I joined a little club. Um, we'll we'll probably talk about it another time. But um, I I bought a I bought a little diary. It's like a five year diary, and I thought, God, that's intimidating. And in no way did I think the product of this diary was I will fill every page. I will look on these five years of glory and see the product of my life. Because half the time I can hardly read my writing when I put it in it in the first place. Uh, so I, I ain't never looking back on this, I don't think. But do you know what? I only get three lines for each day because it's only like this big. And it's got five years space worth. So I get three lines and I can't put masses into it. Don't really look back on them, actually. I don't really potter back through my days. I try not to write anything as negative. It's not a gratitude journal per se. And I might say it was a really hard day, but I haven't got enough space to dwell on it, nor do I ever go back to it. So I found that really useful. I don't really think about it when I do it. I just do it and it feels better. I can't really explain a tangible reason other than it kind of helps me process something that's happened in a day, good or bad. And I feel good once I've done it, even if it is something where I've gone meh day, can't really remember any of the day other than I had a coffee at lunchtime. The function of journaling in many respects is to put a pin in something, isn't it? It's to allow you to capture the essence of the day, you capture your thoughts, you put things to rest, you resolve stuff, and then you shut the book. And that, that's the physical filing cabinet with a lock on it, isn't it? It's the same thing. It, it all helps you switch off from the day and free yourself from the patterns of thought that you've been in all day. And almost the first thing you said on this podcast was, how difficult it is to switch off because you spend all day in a high level of cerebral activity, constantly making decisions, micro decisions, you're constantly on the go, you're constantly encountering new things and being stimulated. And actually journaling is one of those things that just allows you to calm down. I think it just, just sets those little inputs to rest in a good way. I don't think about the day when I'm writing about the day. Does that make sense? Like everything else kind of exactly switches off. It kind of all stops and I go, right, I've just got to write these sentences. And then I shut it and then it stops a little bit, which is quite nice. So there we go. That's our take on how to switch off, create some boundaries, whether they're internal emotional boundaries or external physical boundaries, but create ways of compartmentalizing the way you think about work, the way you think about home. And part of doing that is that second strategy, which is mindfulness about being present now, not thinking about the past or the future too much and finding activities that will really allow you to do that. And that leads you to number three, which is really kind of prioritizing self-care is what we're talking about here. It's putting ourselves at the forefront of our own experiences and our own lives and recognizing that we can, as we've alluded to here, with some degree of work, find ways to take control of our thoughts and our emotions and to be the better for it. And ultimately, do you know what? If you're not there yet, you're still committing to being like that in the future. And it is completely okay to go, I might not be there yet, but imagine what kind of person I would be when I have that. And then you're going to want it. 
and want it and want it more. And then you're going to start living by it and doing it a little bit more. And then you turn into the person that you wanted to be in the first place. You knew you could commit that much to such a little thing that can make a really big difference. We're at the end of this week's episode, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support and thank you for everything you do day in and day out. Now, teaching can be tough, it can be lonely, and it can be exhausting. And so, if no one else says it, thank you for being a teacher. You're just inspirational. And if you enjoyed this episode, did you know you'll probably enjoy the next one too? And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So, like and subscribe if you can. And sign up to our free weekly newsletter, The Flourishing Teachers Field. It's at marigoldteachers.com and it's packed full of tried and tested tips for teacher well-being. But until then, remember that the most important obligation is to yourself. You are awesome. Please believe it. And we want you to stay that way. So we'll see you next time. Bye.